The Gospel reading according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus began to say to all in the synagogue in Nazareth, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow in Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So today's gospel reading, which we heard Sandra read for us, is a really important one. Um, It comes right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to draw our attention to it, talk a little about it, um, and then get us to a point where we can ask a few questions in anticipation of next week's gospel reading, which is also uh, a very important one. Just to remind you sort of where we've come since Christmas, Jesus grows up very quickly in the church here. Um, So he has been baptized. We've already heard uh, his first miracle, which is a little out of sequence, honestly, in terms of the chronology of things. And again, today, uh, we get what is actually part two of a two-part reading. We heard the first part of it last week, uh, which is the first time Jesus is recorded in the Gospel of Luke as preaching. So it's the very start of his public ministry, and importantly, it comes right after um, his 40 days in the wilderness. We'll talk about those, as we always do, right before Lent starts. That's how we tee up the 40 days of Lent. But uh, I'm going to actually, if if you'd like to, you can draw your attention to uh, your pew Bibles, since I'm going to be focusing our attention there. This is Luke chapter 4. Verse 14, so it's page 936, and if you're at home, obviously you can uh, follow along in your own Bibles, Luke chapter 4, and as you will see at the start of that page, it's the beginning of chapter 4, that's the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He started following John the Baptist, Uh, he is baptized by John, he is sent out into the wilderness to be tempted, and right away... After those 40 days, he begins his public ministry. Last week, by the way, uh, Pastor Matheson very appropriately preached on the Old Testament reading, Nehemiah, uh, about worship. Uh, And so I'm going to just pick it up where last week's gospel reading uh, started, which in our pew Bibles has that heading, the beginning of the Galilean ministry. 
Uh, it may be important to note, by the way, Jesus, you'll remember, and this comes up in the reading quickly, was born in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. But after he was a young man, we think he probably moved and started following John the Baptist and probably moved his center of uh, activity to Capernaum. So he's not living in Nazareth anymore, but once he leaves the um, 40 days and 40 nights of, of temptation, he sort of goes on a bit of a preaching uh, tour in the countryside. So we pick it up in verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Right? So he's already, this is the very start of his ministry, and he's already starting to get a big name. He's becoming an influencer on social media, you might say. He's getting more followers on Instagram and Facebook. Someone last hour thought maybe TikTok as well. I don't know if TikTok was around back then. Um, <clears throat> verse 16, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, again, he wasn't living there anymore, but this is his home. This is where his family and friends were. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And I'm going to read this in a second. But this passage from Isaiah is a very famous passage. It comes towards the end of the prophet Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And it it's comes at a time when the people of Israel are being restored to their homeland after having been exiled in Babylon. That's the same theme that was brought up in Nehemiah last week that Pastor Matheson preached on. Right, So they've been exiled into Babylon and now they've come back home. Last week, Nehemiah talked about this. This week, Jesus is quoting Isaiah talking about it, but uh, sort of putting those words now on himself. So here's what he says. And again, this is, by the way, again, the start of Jesus' public ministry. So I think it's totally appropriate, given that he chooses this passage, to say he is claiming this passage as a kind of mission statement for his entire ministry. He says, or he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we're told he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now that doesn't mean he read the scroll and went and sat in the back back pew of the synagogue. He, when, when it says he sat down, that means he's getting ready to teach. Sitting down was the posture that a teacher would take in the ancient world. And it says, uh, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them this sort of portentous, um, incredibly powerful statement about this very famous passage from Isaiah from a really important time in the uh, Old Testament. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I, Jesus, the person you know, uh, am making all of these things come true. And then this very important couple of verses, uh, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth, right? They said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, sometimes we read that second part of that verse or we hear it as sort of snarky or sarcastic. Oh, who does this guy think he is? He's Joseph's son. We remember him when he was running around and, you know, a little tyke in those little shoes that Kathy was talking about. 
You know, he's growing bigger than his britches. Nothing in this context suggests that at all. It suggests quite the opposite. Again, look, verse 22 again. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. I think what they're saying is, wow, we do remember Jesus as a little boy. And look at what he's become. And we're so um, proud of him that he's one of us. He's our dear friend. He's a family member, right? So it's going really well. There's this sort of amazing homecoming for Jesus, and everyone in the synagogue is all excited. And then things take a very strange turn. And I am telling you right now, I am not going to try to explain that because the text isn't clear about what happens. Perhaps someone says something that isn't recorded here, or perhaps something happens that isn't recorded, or perhaps Jesus is aware of something going on in Nazareth. But after that verse, when there's talking about all the gracious words and how they were amazed at him, and they say, isn't this Joseph's son? We're so proud of you. Verse 23, he said to them, again, sort of hard left turn, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. What does that suggest? It suggests that Jesus thinks the listeners think that he needs to be healed or be made whole or fixed or saved before he should presume to go and preach or heal others. And he says, you will say, and again, he's sort of anticipating what the people in the synagogue are thinking, you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. I know what you're thinking You've heard all these good reports about me and all the miracles I've performed and how people love listening to me, and you just want a good show, people, right? It's getting a little tense, honestly. And it's, a, it's again, I'm, I don't understand exactly what happens, but it clearly is getting tense. And Jesus dials it up even more now in the next two quick stories. These are two stories about famous prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. There were many widows in, verse 25, many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine. So this is a famine during the time of Elijah. Yet, Jesus says, Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon, to an outsider, to a foreigner. Jesus did not go to save the people of Israel, or excuse me, Elijah didn't. Elijah was sent by God to someone else. And then something similar happens, verse 27. Also, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. None of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Again, a foreigner. So what Jesus is saying is, yes, I'm your your friend. I'm part of this family. But I, associating himself as another prophet, just like Elijah and Elisha, I have also been sent, as they were, to share God's love, not just with you, not just with the insiders, not just with the clique, but with the whole world. And they don't like that one little bit. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. Folks, this is his first sermon that we have recorded. It's not going well. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. Has anyone been to Nazareth, by the way? Anyone? I have not, but there's a place called the Mount of Precipice in Nazareth where you can still see this high place where it's believed they sent him down, or they tried to kill him, and somehow, miraculously, he gets away. Now, again, 
I can't explain how that takes such a bad turn or what prompts it, but whatever else you want to say about that passage, you can certainly say this, that it challenges our assumptions about holy Jesus, meek and mild, right? Peaceful, quiet, gentle Jesus. I have no doubt Jesus had the capacity to be meek and mild and gentle and peaceful, but as it is clear from this passage, he also had the capacity to really make people angry. And why should that surprise us, by the way? He was killed by the most powerful people in Jerusalem and their Roman collaborators. He was killed, right? So um, whatever else it makes of that, it it reminds us that the meek and mild uh, portrait of Jesus is simply a caricature. It's not the full, rounded nature of him. Now, I mentioned I want to close with a few questions, right? Because next week, this this is a very important passage. Next week, we will have a passage where Jesus is calling his first disciples, right? And I just want you to put yourself in the place of those disciples for a minute. And again, word about Jesus is spreading widely. People know about this guy. And by the way, he's going to leave Nazareth and go up back towards Capernaum to call his disciples. We don't think he really ever went back there for reasons which are understandable. So if you're one of those disciples, though, that is hearing an invitation from Jesus, what are you thinking? I think you've got some questions, right? Among them, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? What does he want from me? And if I follow him, what can I expect? And friends, 2,000 years later, we are asking those same questions. And we'll talk more about it next week. But provisionally, the short answers to those questions. Who is this guy? Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, God with us, Emmanuel. What does he want from me? everything. And if I follow him, what can I expect? You can expect to discover who God really made you to be. You can expect to discover your true purpose in life. And you can expect to be sent on an amazing adventure. And is it going to cost you something? It sure will. Will it be worth it? You bet. And Jesus promises you, as we were reminded in the passage from Jeremiah, that whatever happens, he will be with you, and you do not need to be afraid. I invite you to sit with those questions for next week, and in the meantime, will you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, when your son came 2,000 years ago, he attracted many, and he angered many And those he called had lots of important and appropriate questions, as we do today, about who he is and what he's asking of us. I pray you will help us to hear the invitation to follow him and give us the strength and courage to be led by Jesus into a bright and hopeful future. In all this, we pray in his holy name. Amen.